It's a delight to be able to be with you in this preacher's meeting this week, and I'm thankful uh, for the opportunity that I have to not only see my friends, but also to make new ones. Uh, we arrived yesterday afternoon and uh, saw gentlemen that and their wives that we've known for years that are serving the Lord, and I've looked forward to this morning because uh, anywhere you go, when you meet other brothers and sisters that are serving the Lord, it's always a great encouragement. And uh, so I, I know that I've come to preach to you today, but I also know that uh, the fellowship that we have will encourage me. Weather's a little different here in Colorado than it is in North Carolina. I, my wife, we were riding down the road yesterday. Uh, pastor's son, Thane, was driving us. And I think that was by design. I think the, the pastor wanted to make sure we were going to be right with the Lord. And so he let us ride with Thane. And uh, so uh, anyway, we, we were coming, and my wife looked off in the distance, and she said, Honey, looks like fog up there. And uh, it was not fog. It was a good old windstorm, and all that dust was kicking up out there. And uh, the land's awful flat, at least here, but you can look up into the mountains, and uh, it's a beautiful sight. But our ministry at Ambassador, uh, every time I'm on campus, uh, I end up seeing the next generation of young men and young women that are serving the Lord. And I'm glad to tell you this morning, God's still calling people. And, uh, but you know as well as I do, the need is great. And uh, I pray that for each of you, that the Lord would raise up a Timothy under your wing. I pray that for each of you, uh, that you'll be able to disciple people in the service of the Lord and that Colorado and the areas around uh, would be reached with the gospel as a result of the influence that you've been able to have in that area. And so we uh, this year we have students from about 28 different states, 10 foreign countries. A number of those are missionary kids. And uh, I just want to encourage you gentlemen about something. I never really thought about it until I started working with them more. But you know, missionary kids, uh, they're a unique group, and so often they're misunderstood. And the reason I tell you that is because sometimes, you know, they come in, you see somebody do something, you're just shaking your head. You're just like, oh, my kid wouldn't do that. But uh, I'll tell you what I've seen missionary kids struggle with is, let's say they were born in America, raised in a foreign country, and then they come back to America, and they really feel like they don't have a country. Because everybody looks at you and says, well, you're American. What do you mean you don't know the price of a postage stamp? Well, I've been living in another country for the majority of my life, or you've never heard of this, or you've never heard of that. I was talking with a young man who was raised in Cameroon. He's one of our students, and I saw he was uh, having a hard day, and I said, uh, what's wrong? He said, I just really have some mixed emotions. I said, why is that? He said, well, he said, I've been raised in Cameroon. He says, my dad's coming off the field. It was a good situation, and... Uh, he said, I just know that I'll never go back. He said, that's all I've ever known. And, you know, you and I have a bad day when the Dunkin' Donuts person messes up your drink. Or I don't buy Dunkin' Donuts. I'd just soon eat rocks than Dunkin' Donuts. But anyway, um, I, back in North Carolina, we're Krispy Kreme fans. That's just like cotton candy is what it is. But, uh, you know, for us sometimes, you know, that, that wrecks our day. But I watched that young man just sort of wrestle at lunch and, he realized that everything he knew back home, he'd, he'd probably never get to see it again. And uh, so I, I want to encourage you, as we've had a number of missionary kids, and really, for that matter, preacher's kids. Uh, I was with a preacher years ago, and he would just reach out, go out of his own, and go out of his way to show kindness to preacher's kids. 
and it made a great difference. He was never forgotten. And sometimes the Lord used that man's kindness to blunt the cruelness that they had experienced from other people. And uh, so anyway, I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but sometimes that's just a perspective that you have as a preacher. Let's get into 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And uh, in a moment, we're going to read a few verses from the Apostle Paul. Uh, I'm an avid reader. I like to read uh, because of what I get to do with young men and women in the ministry. I uh, enjoy trying to just get everything that I can to try to help in training them. But, you know, there's, become, there's been a fad in our day and time. Uh, people are like, well, who can I model my ministry after? And they'll talk about this church in America. They'll talk about this church in America. And I will just tell you this. I've learned that churches and locations are different. Uh, there's some things that work here that wouldn't work back home. All right, when I'm, ta I'm talking about within a biblical methodology here, uh, the, you know, you go to the mountains of North Carolina, that's a lot different than Charlotte, North Carolina. I was raised with mountain people. So, you know, when you came to the city, it was like a different world. And uh, a lot of times they said, well, I want to model my ministry after this church or this ministry or this locale and this ministry. But I I've just come to the hard conclusion the more I read the New Testament, that's the ministry that I want to model after. And it's wonderful because 2,000 years have passed. And do you know what? The same heart that Paul had in the book of 1 Thessalonians is the same heart that we need 2,000 years later. Uh, a man can have all kinds of degrees. He can have all kinds of awards. He can attend all kinds of conferences but without this heart, he's nothing. And this is the heart that I want to show you. Notice with me in verse number 4. Paul said, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Now verses 7 through 10 is where I want to focus. He says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day. Because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. And so this morning, I want to remind us of the heart that the Apostle Paul had, and I want us to do some little, a little self-evaluation. Because I'm going to make it admission to you as a preacher that we preachers, we don't like to admit. But you know, there are sometimes we preachers need to do some, I say self-evaluation. Ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit that does it. But one, sometimes we need to look inside. And every once in a while, if I could say it this way, I need God to jerk a knot in me. It's a good southern way to say it. 
And I find myself at times getting calloused. I find myself at times getting disillusioned. I find myself getting a little faithless at times. Now, if you're here today and you've never struggled with that, it's good to have you visiting from heaven today. I'm glad you're here. And maybe afterwards you can rub off on me just a little bit. But I want to show you three things that were true of the Apostle Paul. And men, they've got to be true of us if we're going to make a difference in our churches and a difference with the gospel. Number one, Paul shows us a caring picture. You know, how do you picture a preacher? You know, in evangelistic preaching, I have 11 guys, they're seniors, that's their last preaching class before they graduate. And uh, if you look on our class page, uh, that's where all the syllabus and all the assignments are uploaded online, uh, you know what you would see as a picture of the evangelistic preacher? I found a picture of Billy Sunday. It was a drawn picture. I don't know that it was an actual picture or drawing of something actually happened, but for the, what I've heard about Billy Sunday, it very well could have happened. I mean, both feet on the pulpit just spread out and just just lunging over the crowd. Now, that's a, that's a preaching picture, isn't it? If I asked you men, I said, you give me, give me a picture of a preacher. Give me a picture of the Apostle Paul. You know, somebody might say, well, he's like a farmer. He's like an athlete. But for some reason, I don't think anybody would stand up and say, I know, he's like a nursing mother. Let's just admit, that's not the most flattering picture for us men, is it? But that's exactly how Paul pictures himself in verse 7. He said, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. You know, growing up, I was an only child, and so when I had children, it was a real education for me. I'd never handled babies before. I distinctly remember the progression in our family. We had Andrew, who was the first one. I didn't even know how to hold him. You know, the doctor puts him, and you know, my wife said, I'll hold his head up. And then I'd hold his head up. She went, no, that's too high. You know, get it. I just, it took me a while. I just felt like I was holding glass. And, you know, by the time I got the second one, I could hold him with one hand, no problem. And by the time I had the third, Karis, my daughter who's here this week, I just about hold her by the leg and just sort of look around. You know, I mean, I felt very comfortable after that. But, you know, at least on three occasions, I had the opportunity to watch my wife, and I watched her care, and I watched her concern. And, you know, you, you look at that look in a mother's eye, and you're like, wow, I mean, they are fixated on that baby. And, you know, that is the picture that God uses for us as the servants of the Lord. For we were gentle among you. There's nothing wrong with being tough. And there's nothing wrong with being gentle. Do you know you can be both of those at the same time? I'm going to tell you, there's times I'm like, Lord, give me the hide of a rhinoceros. But give me a tender heart. And you know, there are times, you know, listen, there are times when we're not gentle. By the way, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. I mean, it is. If you're full of the Spirit, then you're going to have gentleness. That is a part of it. And listen, you can be tough. Listen, I've known of men that, listen, 
They could be coarse when they needed to be coarse, and they could weep when they needed to weep. I mean, they had a tender heart all along, but sometimes we just get in that sense. When we become insensitive to the needs of the people that we're serving, we're losing the vision that Paul's casting here. You know, it's okay to be gentle, and that ought to be characteristic in our ministry. Listen, when our people hurt, the people that hurt around us, if we don't hurt, we're not fulfilling the picture of verse number 7. But, you know, as I thought about this nursing mother thing, here was something that I was really challenged in, and I want you to think about it for a moment. You know, the relationship between a mother and a child You know, the health of the child is very dependent upon the diet of the mother. You ever thought about that? First of all, if the woman doesn't take care of herself, she's not going to be able to take care of that child. But the nourishment that that child receives is developed from her own nourishment and her own diet. And I don't know about you, but there are some seasons of which I've hit in my life where my diet has not been what it needs to be. And I by no means have been perfect. But I'm going to tell you, I always want to hold this picture in my mind and say, God, with your help, that's what I want to strive to be. Because I realize that, Lord, if I don't let you help me, I can't help others. And so I want to ask you this morning, what is your picture of ministry. You say, is pounding the pulpit. That's great. That's fine. You say, what is my picture of ministry? There's some people that teach you just run over people, which that's totally foreign to Paul. But I want our young men at Ambassador and myself and all of us as brothers as we're serving the Lord, let us be gentle as a nurse cherisheth her children and let us be mindful that our diets directly affect those that we serve and those that we feed and we better be eating the right things. But Paul not only gives the idea of a caring picture, but the second thing that he talks about is a complete participation. You know, if there's anything that I hear pastors and that I myself as a preacher long for, when you go, you want people to be gung-ho, don't you? I mean, let's be honest. There's times when somebody's flamed and flickered out and it just, you know, I just wish you were in all the way. I felt that frustration and I know you have too. But I'm going to tell you, there's one thing worse than a church member who's not all in. And that's a preacher who's not all in. You say, well, how all in was he? Verse number 8. So being affectionately desirous of you. Boy, that's that's quite some verbiage there, isn't it? I mean, he's just like, I I really, I mean, so being affectionately desired. That's a mouthful. Paul just didn't say, I like him. I like you guys. You're sort of my favorites. He was like, so affectionately desirous. Now, I remember years ago in college, we had, and for those that are, I'll mention the name because I'll appreciate the illustration, but we had a missionary kid. His name was Matt Shields. Matt was raised in Mexico, and he was more Mexican than he was American. 
And he showed up on our campus and he wasn't too thrilled because he'd been pulled out of everything that he had known, put into America. He'd just soon go back to Mexico and live the rest of his life. Well, in college life, he began to warm up a little bit and he began to notice that God had created these people called females. And, uh, you know, sometimes, especially younger guys, they get a little zealous, and if they don't have the social skills that uh, greatly help them, you know, sometimes they can put shock or fear into a young lady. And that's exactly what Matt did. They're working together in the kitchen one day, and Matt goes up to this girl that, listen, he said boo to her, and that's about it. And he said, I want you to know I'm madly in love with you. Now, it didn't help that this girl had two other brothers on campus at the time. They were ready to kill him. The rest of the story is they're married. They served in Mexico. Now they're missionaries in Aruba. <laughs> but you know that boy, he, it, it, may have been, it may have been some awkward expression, but boy, what he said, he meant it. And years later, it would be proven. Now, I want to ask you a question right now. And please, you don't have to, I, I don't expect an answer. But I want to ask you, how do you feel about the people you serve? There's been times I've been aggravated, and maybe rightfully so. There have been times I've been disappointed. And I would say rightfully so. But I can never let those disappointments and those feelings override my love for them. And there are times I dwell so much on the disappointment that if I'm not careful, my attitude becomes, well, you know what? They just can do whatever. I, I've had the, my wife could tell you, I've had my moments. Our wives deserve a medal, don't they? They hear what many people do not. And sometimes there are sounding boards. But you know, there are times in the end when I rebound off of that, I want to come to the point where my heartbeat is so being affectionately desirous of you. Because I'm going to tell you what, your feelings towards other people will affect your ability to serve them. I know that firsthand, even if Paul had never even indicated that. I know it firsthand. When, when my feelings become very harsh and that affection is gone, my service disappears to them. And then he goes on to say that we are willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. There's the idea of that complete participation. You know what I've learned though? Paul said we we're so affectionately desirous of you. You know what I've learned? I've learned that my love is not always well received. And I'm going to tell you what. If my love for other people was conditioned on whether or not they loved me, I'd have been out of this business a long time ago. And the truth is Paul would have too. The more I love you, the less I be loved. <laughs> Am I your enemy? Because here I tell you the truth. But our affection ought to be that motivating factor. Our love's not always well received. 
But I'm going to tell you, there's no greater thing than you can give to other people than just give yourself. You know, we talk about, have you ever seen uh, parents in busted up marriages and maybe in your church or within your reach where you see parents and they're trying to win their kids with money, buying the biggest and best things? You know, it's like, well, I'm not going to spend time with you, but I, I, here, I'm going to get you the best. Here, you've got a North Face jacket, and here, you've got the nicest shoes, and here's you $300 for Christmas. But you know what those kids are needing? They're not needing money. They're needing the time. And the greatest thing that any of us can give to our people is the time. Spend time with them. Rub shoulders with them. Give our own souls. You know, really in summation, I mean, I think this is an appropriate way to say it. People just really ought to be the dearest thing to our hearts outside of God. People. He said, we gave our own souls unto you. Why? Because ye were dear unto us. He said, you know why we did it? Because we liked you. No. He said, we did it because you hold a special place in our hearts. So I want to ask you, have you come through a season this summer where you've been roughed up a little bit? You ever know? I, I wish ministry was always up here. I like riding those waves. But boy, sometimes when you crash, it hurts. And you may find yourself in a season where your disposition towards the people that you serve, maybe some of you are serving young people. You know, young people are crazy. I am reminded of it every summer when I preach at camps. They shake my head. But I'll tell you, the people that I really appreciate are you sponsors and you pastors. They love them irregardless, and I mean they've given their souls to them. And people say, that's a waste of time. It's never a waste of time to do what God's called you to do. And you and I drive ourselves nuts if we tried to quantify just on this side of heaven the effect that our ministry has had. Because I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of times I poured my life into people that seemingly were dead ends. And God gave me just a little glimpse on occasion and said, no, that wasn't a dead end. And it comes around full circle and I rejoice. God doesn't show me a lot of that though. And I'll tell you why. Because my head needs to be kept like that. But regardless of what I see, and sometimes the doubt of the influence that I think I may be making, I'm just going to choose to have a heart like the Apostle Paul. So number one, he shows us a caring picture. Number two, he shows us a complete participation. And the last thing in verse number nine is he shows a continual passion. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail. I'm going to tell you, you know this. I mean, serving the Lord is W-O-R-K. Work. Sometimes it's physical work. Sometimes I like physical work a lot better than the other work. Because these metal studs, they don't talk back to me. This carpet, I can cut it and manipulate it and pull it any which way I want to. And when it's all said and done, it's, it's my fault because I've basically had total control 
over the situation. You know, the physical labor, that gets you weary. A building program or you have something that you're remodeling in your church that you thought was going to be easy and you lied to yourself. You just didn't know it. You didn't know what was under there and then you got into it and you're like, this is worse. We should have just burned the church down and rebuilt it. You know, there is that kind of work, but I'm going to tell you what, helping people, that is work. You ever been emotionally spent? Listen, I'm not going to make any bones about it. I'm an evangelist. As an evangelist, when I go into churches many times, I talk with my pastor friends, and on occasion when we're in meetings, we can walk through waters together. But I'm going to tell you, I don't have the, I don't have the same responsibilities that some of you men have, the things that you've encountered. People have basically had a hand grenade, pulled the pin and counted to nine, and then they hand it to you before the tenth second and say, help me get out of this. You talk about stress? You talk about work? But I just want to remind you, you're not the first one to ever go through it. But it does. It labor and travail those are two like i mean those are hard words last weekend i preached a homecoming service at my home church where i was saved and uh, it's the first time i'd been back there in 10 or 15 years and that afternoon i had some time to burn and i went over and saw my old neighbor eric he lives in a house that's just right up from where we were raised and i said eric i said uh i'm coming up on sunday afternoon i said if you have an old tobacco stick I said, I'd like to have one. Now, I'm not an advocate for smoking here, but I'll just give you a little bit of background. When I was a kid growing up, I was raised in the tobacco fields in North Carolina. At the age of 12, I started working in these long, hot, sandy rows. It was hard work. I can still remember as a kid, we'd go to a field, and I mean, the tobacco field row was from here to Denver, it seemed like. And the humidity was 120, and the weather was 95, and we'd have to get that in the barn. Again, I'm not advocating smoking the stuff, but that was the work that I was involved in. And then we'd have to put it up in the barn, and we had to use these tobacco sticks, and I'll not bore you with the process. But I said, Eric, I just like a tobacco stick, and I just want to set it in the corner, and I just want it to remind me of what I suffered through as a teenager. It was work. But I'm going to tell you, there's been a few instances where if I had my choice, I'd go back to that tobacco field and work that long row because it seemed to me like that was a lot easier than helping people put their lives back together. It's work. It's the hardest, it's the, ministry's the hardest work I've ever done. It's the most challenging. He said, our labor and travail for laboring night and day. I tell our guys at Ambassador, if you're punching out after 5 o'clock, just go to Walmart. Because people's trials don't happen on your schedule. But it's day and it's night. And you know there are seasons where that wears on you. And when those seasons come, you've got to understand that Paul felt and experienced the same thing. Listen, Paul felt it. Paul experienced it. And Paul said, listen, 
we're going to labor day and night. He just had a continual passion. And so I think the best thing for all of us to do this morning is instead of looking at uh, mega churches, yeah, you know, I, I'm not against anything that's big. I mean, just because something's big doesn't mean I think it's bad. But there are a lot of things that are big because they are bad. I mean, I'll be the first one to say that. But, you know, I mean, listen, if we all wanted the easy route, you could do like some of these preachers. You know, they get up and wear skinny jeans and they preach on a campus and they're, they have, uh, they're have their services shot out in these different places. People sit in a nice air-conditioned building and they watch the video and then they go home and, you know, guy boasts a 6,000-member congregation. He's preaching to 50 here and then he's got a bunch of satellite. I mean, you know what? We could, I guess we could all... Law, and people say, boy, that's the way to go. I want to tell you, the way to go is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know, just because I'm a president of a Bible college, I've learned something. I've learned that it's not a Bible college education or a degree that makes a man a preacher. And some of the best men that I've ever encountered, you know what, it was men. They may not have had an MDiv or they may not have had a doctorate degree, but I'll tell you what, they had a caring heart that a lot of academicians desperately need. And so if you're here and you're tempted to feel insufficient, you say, well, I didn't have this opportunity, or I didn't have that opportunity, or I, I've not done this, or I've not done that. Let me tell you, you, you be a picture like the Apostle Paul. You have a caring picture. You have a complete participation, and you have a continual passion, and I think you're well on your way to doing a great work for God. And may God help us all. To be like the Apostle Paul. Let's close in prayer. Father, Lord, I want to thank you for these men today. I thank you for the labor that you've called them to do. Many of them I've not even met yet. But Lord, even though I've not met them, I know this. 